0: Good health is a crown worn by the healthy that only the ill can see. Your health really is your wealth. Join us for the next hour as we explore disease and attaining and maintaining good health. This is Dischem Medical Monday, brought to you by Dischem, pharmacists who care.
1: Good morning, welcome to Dischem Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dean Gerson. Thank you for joining us. We will be interviewing today Dr. Evan Shul. Evan Shul is... A specialist physician and infectious diseases specialist working at the Neckemel Park Hospital. Thanks, Dean. Well, thank you for coming, Evan. Thanks for coming on Thanks the show. Thanks for the invitation. Cool. So can you please first tell us, uh, who are you? <laughs> what do you do? How do you become an infectious diseases specialist?
2: So I, um, I'm Evan Shaw. I did my, I did my uh, undergraduate training in, in Cape Town and then did my physician and infectious diseases training here in Joburg and, um, yeah, it's quite a long journey to become an infectious diseases uh, specialist. It's one of the sub-disciplines within internal medicine. And it's a very exciting field. It's um, always moving, always changing, a lot of research, a lot of new developments, um, <clears throat> and also a lot of telephonic consults that uh, that come with that. And, um, yeah, I'm based at uh, the Mill Park Hospital where we, we get to see uh, a lot of people who are either flown in from other countries, uh, a lot of people who come to the hospital having uh, traveled quite extensively. Um, and those sorts of uh, infections fall within um, infection, uh, what an infectious diseases specialist would, would deal with. Can you
1: give us an example of uh, some of the diseases
2: you see? So I think probably the most common thing I deal with uh, is not travel-related, but it's HIV and, uh, and TB. Uh, patients, um, which is also a very, very exciting field. We can chat about that a bit later. Uh, the travel related things that I most commonly deal with are usually malaria related, uh, gastroenteritis, um, you know, any fevers that, that people bring back from having a great holiday somewhere tropical. Uh, unfortunately some people have a bit of a downside. To the, to the island holiday that they've just been on and they have to come and see me. And that's quite a big portion of what I do. Okay, so you
1: worked in government for many years and now you're in private. What's the, what was the difference with the spectrum of disease? I imagine in government, mainly HIV and uh, TB.
2: Yeah, so in, in the government hospitals, the majority of our work would be uh, related to HIV. So antiretroviral therapy, TB patients. Um, and uh, some hospital acquired infections, we would occasionally see some some people who uh, from neighboring countries who would come with malaria or come with other sort of tropical diseases and the spectrum um, where i 'm working at the moment is is quite different still there 's a significant number of hiv uh, antiretroviral TB patients that I see, but also a lot of Hospital-acquired infections, um, a lot of uh, superbugs, and uh, and travel uh, travel-related patients. Fantastic. Okay,
1: so we're going to talk a bit about uh, malaria <coughs> first, with holidays coming up. Mm. Very interesting topic. Do you want to um, maybe give us an introduction? Why is malaria? What is malaria? Why is it dangerous?
2: And then we'll go into uh, prevention and treatment. So malaria is a, a parasitic. Uh, infections transmitted by a particular mosquito, a mosquito that we have in uh, parts of South Africa, but, uh, the most of the infections that we see come from certain areas within South Africa and it's a potentially very dangerous, can be a very severe um, infection with a number of different complications. Um, some people have a more uncomplicated Form where it um, a lot of people think that it's flu because they're just feeling a little bit feverish and they're just not feeling well. And if they go to their their local doctor, they often sort of present the the symptoms as as flu type uh, symptoms. And um, if it's uncomplicated, then then that can turn out to be malaria in In my setting in the hospital i 'm at, we uh, often see the more complicated uh, patients who require uh, admission um, the thing with with malaria that's probably um, the biggest thing with with discussing is that it is um, very preventable, and there are a number of prophylactic Medications that can be taken and a lot of bite prevention, mosquito bite prevention strategies that, that one can use to to avoid getting malaria in okay. the first place.
1: So, uh, first of all, why different areas? Why, is it because there are different mosquitoes in different areas? Why specific areas? Why don't we get malaria from
2: mosquito bites in Joburg? So, the, for somebody to contract malaria, there has to be a, a pool of other infected people in the area that the mosquitoes... Um, bite and then transmit the malaria to the, to the next person. So within the Johannesburg area, we don't have a pool of infected people. So for example, uh, around the Kruger Park, um, in some of the northern uh, parts of the country, Limpopo, where there are more lush tropical areas where there are a lot more mosquitoes. That's usually the, the area that's most, uh, uh, implicated in, in malaria transmission.
1: Okay. So people are thinking about going on holiday to there. Mm. What, uh, I hear certain times of years,
2: some are better than worse. Is that, uh, mm. is that true? Yeah. So there, there are a lot of, there are a lot of myths and a lot of, um, mices around, yeah. uh, malaria prophylaxis <laughs> yeah. where, um, people are worried about taking it because they're worried it's going to mask. The symptoms and the doctors won't know what I've got if I come back because the, the prophylaxis masks the symptoms. That is not necessarily true. There's also a lot of, um, uh, there are a lot of stories about uh, the time of year or uh, the altitude or, you know, visiting a capital city in certain countries in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, generally, the recommendation is that if someone's traveling to a malaria area, regardless of the the time of year, um, to take malaria prophylaxis. So, for example, when uh, people are going on their summer holidays. Now, if they're going to the Kruger Park or they're going to Mpumalanga or Limpopo. Mozambique. Mozambique, yeah, to uh, the Burra Bahamas, as they're called. And then <laughs> the... Uh, Um, That's the the, the rainy season In that uh, that area And and with the rain comes the mosquitoes And with mosquitoes comes malaria And so We often advise for this uh, Especially for this time of year That um, malaria prophylaxis Is is non-negotiable So um, Those who are visiting Kruger Park um, Even if it's just for a few days we often um, advise people to take prophylaxis. Um, a lot of people are v- go and visit the southern parts of Mozambique. Um, uh, safaris in uh, Zimbabwe uh, also um, rec- we recommend malaria t- prophylaxis. Okay, we're going to take
1: a quick ad break mm-hmm. and
2: then we'll get back onto what prophylaxis
0: is. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discamp, pharmacists who care.
1: Welcome back to Disco Medical Monday. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson, and we've got with us infectious diseases specialist, Dr. Evan Shul. And we're talking malaria and all types of uh, tropical infectious diseases. If you've got a question for Dr. Shul, please SMS on, on 010140. Sorry, SMS on 34519. You can call on 010-140-3020 or send a telegram on 061-895-1019. We're just talking about malaria prophylaxis, taking tablets to prevent getting malaria. We said there were a lot of myths about uh, taking malaria prophylaxis. Dojo, what about in July holidays when uh, malaria is low? Do the mosquitoes go to sleep? Do they, are they not active in uh, July? Do they so, also go on holiday? Maybe they go to uh, Cape Town when people go to
2: no, people un- go to the Kruger Park. Unfortunately, they um, they still stick around, maybe to a, a lesser degree the The number of mosquitoes around that time are usually a lot lower than the sort of December holidays um, because of uh, it's the dry season but we still we still recommend um, for people going into the the heart of the Kruger Park and uh, parts of Limpopo and Pumalanga um, we still recommend that um, people take malaria prophylaxis um, very often the the feeling is well sh- yes the risk is low and um and that the 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 risk of contracting malaria is a lot less during that time and uh, very often people drop their guard and uh, don't consider malaria as a possible diagnosis when somebody has visited the park during the winter season and come back with a with a fever or not not feeling well um very often particularly for that time of year, people think it's flu um and they may very well be right but it's it's also uh always wise to check for malaria at that time
1: okay so what what uh would you advise people to do going to malaria areas any time
2: of year so the the malaria uh prophylaxis um includes three main medications um the there's doxycycline um uh, a tovacoin prognonol, which is uh, otherwise known as melanol or melarone is the is the trade name There are mozitech m- there are generics like mozitech exactly um, and then there's uh probably one of the more infamous uh, but effective prophylactic agents, which is Larium is that the one uh, that gives you crazy dreams that 's the one that gives you crazy dreams and it 's taken once a week, which is Gives you an idea of how potent it is.
1: Okay, so why have we moved away from uh, doxycycline and lirio?
2: So each each medication has got its uh, has got its little uh, issues. So with doxycycline, it causes there's, there are a lot of upper gastrointestinal effects that people can get in the first few days, bit of nausea, bit of gastric irritation. It has to be taken with a lot of water. Uh, we generally advise people not to lie down so if they take it at night not to um uh not to take it um just before going to bed then um it causes photosensitivity so often if people are in malaria areas uh on a holiday that's usually some tropical uh area where people are going to be out in the sun or out on safaris or on the beach and so there's a, Certainty that they'll be exposed to sun and the doxycycline affects, uh, affects that. Um, the other problem with doxy is that it needs to be taken for a month after people come back from their holiday, which is a real, real hassle. Um, and not everyone completes that month. Um, larium is, there's been a problem with stock of, of larium recently, but, um, it's sort of, it's, it's great for preventing malaria, but it's, uh, it does cause, Funny dreams, sometimes nightmares, and um, we don't advise it um, for people who are uh, needing to be uh, switched on for for a, for an important job, like flying a plane or working heavy machinery or working on a big dam. So, for engineers who are working on construction projects, we we generally advise uh, that sort of person to. Can children take larium? Um They can. Okay. Yeah. Um, but probably the one that we most recommend is the. Uh, the melanol, malarone, or mozitech. Okay. Why is that? Um, it's very well tolerated. There are very, very few side effects. Um, it's a tablet that's taken once a day. And probably the better, um, part of, of that tablet is that it's only um, required for a week after returning from the holiday. The, the, the point of, of taking the, the prophylaxis once someone's returned is that if someone's been bitten, the the life cycle of the of the parasite um, can take a few days, so so um, somebody might uh, sort of uh, start manifesting or incubating the infection after they've returned. So we always advise to continue the medication after someone's returned from holiday, um, just to make sure that the the parasites, if they have been bitten, are are cleared. And that's for adults and children. So what's the the youngest age that you can take? The, the, the recommendation for, for kids is, um, from 11 kilograms upwards. Generally, when it comes to, to children and going to malaria areas, we advise, um, against it. Until Uh, what age? There's no, there's no set age, but, but, um, you know, five years is a, is a bit of a thumbsuck. There's no sort of formal, uh, advice against taking children, um, to a malaria area, but we, we really try and advise against it at, as much as possible because, um, when children get malaria, it can be very severe very quickly. Okay.
1: And, um, I've heard also about the melanol that it's safe to dive with. That was the big, uh, breakthrough. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But obviously there's a cost factor.
2: So that's the one downside to the original medication, this sort of brand name, um, Melanol, malarone Was that it's Quite expensive Um, I think some of the medical aids are Starting to catch on to the fact That it's a lot better to Have people taking malaria prophylaxis And we'll cover that um, Rather than Having somebody contract malaria uh, down the line sure and just to dispel one of the myths that
1: um, i mean when you take this malarone it's not going to mask any malaria symptoms no so the the
2: the, the prophylactic medications prevent not 100% of uh, of infections but um, certainly more than 90% those that that do occur when somebody takes malaria prophylaxis usually that infection is a lot milder so a lot of the severe complications, some of the dreaded complications like cerebral malaria or kidney or liver dysfunction, can be prevented um, with the prophylaxis.
1: Okay, fantastic. So, what physical uh, is it called? Barrier prevention, or what?
2: Uh, yeah, so the bites the bite prevention, prevention goes hand in hand with the uh, with the tablets. So, um, the malaria mosquitoes are traditionally those very irritating mosquitoes that bite at night, and um, they bite from dusk until dawn. So we advise wearing light-colored clothing, um, having uh, mosquito nets either uh, over the windows or over the bed. Um, So bed nets uh, are an enormous help when uh, people are traveling to these areas. Um, there's uh, DEET, the sort of mosquito repellent which are all, all of them the same? No, there's varying uh, strengths and, and varying brands, but um generally any travel store or any uh a pharmacy would be able to advise on the on the strength. It can be used in kids, um from from two months upwards. Um, but uh best to um Sort of get advice on the on the brand. And how do those work? Do they not like the
1: smell, or it's poisonous? Or? No,
2: it's a, it acts as a as a repellent to the to the mosquito.
1: Okay, perfect. We're going to take
2: a, another quick ad break, and when we get
1: back, we're going to be talking about some of the complications of malaria, and then move on to some other travel diseases.
0: This is Medical Monday, brought to you with compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.
1: Welcome back to Disco Medical Monday. This is Chai FM. I'm your host, Dr. Dean Gerson. If you want to get in touch with us, you can send us an SMS on 34519, a telegram 061-895-1019, or call the studio on 10 140 3020 Our guest is Dr. Evan Shul. He's an infectious diseases specialist at Mill Park Hospital. We talk malaria and other travel illnesses. We have an uh, SMS, Dr. Shul. It says, hi, Good program, like the host, having spent many years in palabora there 's a story about people from Mozambique that are immune from malaria but carry the malaria virus well we know it's not a virus it's a parasite and so infect people is this true an urban myth that's from Benjamin so are people can people be get resistant uh, to malaria the people who live there in that in that
2: area so um, palabora is right in uh, the sort of hot spots of the South African Transmission zone. It's right by the park, and and that area has um, always uh, got um, a risk throughout the year for for malaria. So um, also the that area sees a lot of people who are coming across from Mozambique. Um, Mozambique is um, has an endemic malaria, so it's it's all over the country. And yes, people who, who do live, so residents who do live in these countries, um, can develop immunity, um, over time. And they have a very, very low, um, parasite or can have a very low parasite level and they've developed an immunity to it. But then they serve as a potential, um, reservoir for, um, uh, for mosquitoes who who bite them and then can transmit it to so can they
1: live they live their whole lives with yep. the parasites living inside them yep. so they are a reservoir for people so mm. that is true and um, what do these people do live in these malaria areas do they take prophylaxis
2: their whole lives or do they just spray so, every day or? yeah it's a, it's a it's a tricky one because there there are a lot of people who let's say for example go and work on a six month project um, in a in an area so there there are um, some who would take prophylaxis for that entire time. Some might take prophylaxis for the first three to six months, and then once um, they're uh, permanently a resident there, uh, most most uh, people do bite prevention. So the mosquito nets, DEET, wearing light-coloured clothes, um, also keeping a fan on um, in the bedroom uh, is uh, is good for. Uh, preventing mosquito bites. So so they would do all of those things to to try and prevent bites and not necessarily take prophylaxis for for longer than three to six months.
1: Okay, perfect. Let's uh, move on to other travel diseases. You mm. know we can have a lot of people going to India, Thailand, the Hajj, mm. other other places. Yeah. Um what other conditions should we be worried about? Should we talk about travelist diarrhea? Uh
2: yeah bit? always always a Deli Belly. Always a hot hot topic. Um, so, very, very often. In fact, it's probably the most common thing that that people develop when when they travel. Um, uh, we often let our let our guard down a little bit when we when we're travelling. We get a, some people get a bit more adventurous with uh, with what they eat. Um, maybe um, for some of your kosher listeners, they. Um, I'd imagine are going to be protected from from that side of things. Sometimes we still got gastro from the Chabad house in Bangkok. <laughs> so, so I think for 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 most people, if they are adventurous eaters and eating street food, or um, you know, getting a drink from uh, from a shop and and someone puts in ice where they've used um, tap water, tap water. Um, or they, you know, br- brush their teeth uh, with the local water. It's very difficult to avoid these things um entirely. And also, you know, people are going on holiday. You don't want to be on on uh, on spielkas the whole time about what you're eating and what you're drinking. And you want to uh, at least have have a bit of a holiday. So, so as as cautious as one can be, there's always something that can slip through the cracks, and that might and that could be. Uh, that could be anything from, uh, ice in someone's drink or salad that's, that's, that someone's eaten. Um, and, uh, um, so quite, quite difficult to avoid, um, overall.
1: So what should people take with them on holiday? Should, if you can't, uh, if you can't
2: take precautions, <clears throat> excuse me so the the main the main thing really is to be aware of the sorts of things uh, or the the, the the risks that one is exposed to when traveling so the municipal water supply um, ice in in drinks um, salad that's been washed in restaurants there's, there's no there's no um, medication that one really needs to to take um, depending on the the duration that someone's traveling so if you re- get if you get
1: gastro I mean one or for one
2: day there's nothing you can do about it. when should you worry um, so I mean gastro on its own is is incredibly common and if it goes for a day with a fever some nausea vomiting and, and lots of diarrhea that uh, is incredibly common and most of the time it um, subsides on its on its own uh, the main thing during that time is to Stay hydrated um, to keep up with the fluids, um, and not not every episode needs uh, antibiotics. There are a number of viral infections that that people can contract that um, resolve uh, spontaneously. But but uh, for some people who, let's say, are going for a long trip uh, to Southeast Asia or uh, on an overland trip through Sub-Saharan Africa. Where the access to healthcare might be a little bit limited. That's when we might advise uh, taking a, a sort of a precautionary uh, pack of, of antibiotics. Um, which, which antibiotic would be the most useful? So generally um, azithromycin, um, just a one uh, gram or just a stat dose of, of azithromycin or um, ciprofloxacin is usually sufficient.
1: Okay, fantastic. And
2: um, when, well, when should people worry if it's more than a few days? Um, yeah, it's, it's it's very variable. I think most most people within 24 hours should be should be feeling better. I think if it lasts longer than that, if there's um, a severe fever, uh, a lot of abdominal cramps, then maybe they should they should see try and see somebody nearby. Okay, and uh, what else?
1: India and Thailand. Is there anything else we should be worried about?
2: So those those areas are also um, there. There are also a lot of uh, mosquitoes. There's also malaria and other concerning infections like like dengue, which is quite quite. It's a virus, but it's it's uh, transmitted similar to malaria, uh, tr- transmitted by mosquitoes, and also causes. Bad fevers and can cause people to be very sick, and that's very common in, uh, particularly in Southeast Asia, so Thailand, Vietnam. That, okay. That so,
1: area. are there any um, immunizations
2: that people should take? Um, so, not not for those. Um, so, with malaria, there's just the prophylaxis. Um, the uh, most uh, vaccine recommendations are either for the hepatitis viruses, so for A and B. Um, there is a Typhoid vaccine that's recommended for people who are traveling long term or might be visiting very rural areas in those uh, in those parts of the world um, what about yellow fever so yellow fever is usually um, something that is insisted upon from a from the government um, uh, point of view and um, we we don't, um, have yellow fever in, in South Africa. Um, it is, it is in uh, big portions of, uh, sub-Saharan Africa and, um, South America, but there, there isn't in, uh, in Southeast Asia. So generally when it comes to yellow fever recommendations, um, I always advise people to check or, or I check the, the country that they're visiting because each place has got a very different, um, uh, stipulation about um, yellow fever how vaccine. Do you, how do you get? What actually is yellow fever? And how do you get it? So it's a it's a viral um, it's a viral infection, also transmitted by by a mosquito. the uh, The vaccine has been um, incredibly successful in keeping the number of infections down. Um, we uh, don't see it often at all, um, but it can it can complicate with um, some neurological uh, uh, issues, but um, there, there's been a massive uh, effort to uh, ensure that, that people who are traveling to or coming from yellow fever um, endemic areas are, are all uh, vaccinated. And, and there, there are a lot of countries that have, as the entry requirement, you've got to come with the certificate, otherwise you get Put in a room in the airport. You get sent back. Uh, no, back. I think they either um, come and uh, give the vaccine yeah, yeah. in the in the in the airport, or um, you get to see someone and a. I'm not sure. I think a waiver might be able to be written. Okay,
1: so why why is there so much fuss about uh, yellow fever and not malaria?
2: Um, so I think that the, the main the main difference is that yellow fever. Is essentially vaccine preventable, um, and uh, has anyone invented a vaccine for malaria? So there are uh, a lot of attempts that have been made um, for malaria vaccine. Um, at the moment, the malaria vaccine is not um, efficacious enough, so it doesn't prevent enough infections for it to be um, rolled out. They they are. Uh, working on a number of different options, um, mostly aimed at um, children in um, in sub-Saharan Africa and and Southeast Asia, um, where um, kids will be uh, vaccinated with a, with a trial vaccine, but uh, and then they follow them up to to see what happens with them. But still, the level of protection for that vaccine is not yet good enough for it to be. Um, totally rolled out, okay. but they're working on it.
1: Okay, fantastic. All right. So you said that at your hospital you see uh, other fevers and that for people coming in from from Africa. When would people consider coming to see you? So, um,
2: with anyone who's who's travelled um, and who has a fever, there's always an enormous range of things that. People may have so it could be something as as simple as upper respiratory tract infection or a bladder infection and a lot of people that that come to see me have already been to their local doctor or been to their GP who um, has done a few tests tried uh, an antibiotic and 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 if it hasn't worked then then generally I get uh, consulted um, if there's any complication of, of something that somebody's contracted, so complication of malaria or, um, I see a lot of bulhasia that, that people oh, have, uh, yeah. that, that people have contracted. Can from. we stop,
1: stop you out right there to yeah. tell us about a uh, little bit on, on bulhasia? Always uh,
2: got told by my mother not to swim in rivers. Yeah. So, so South Africa has, is endemic with, with Bulhazia. We, we have it in, um, a lot of our, a lot of our rivers and our dams and our lakes. During my community service in the Transvaal, I often got to see um, a lot of young kids who had been swimming in the rivers and and contracted um, the the bladder form of of Balhazia. Um And is it is the parasite, the schistosoma Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's so uh, there, there's there's two forms. There's there's a form that affects the bladder and a, a form that affects the The liver and in south africa we we have both um they're both very easily treatable with an anti parasitic drug and um the the probably the the most tricky part of bulhasia is that the testing and the the diagnostic tests for it are are not great um they can sometimes be uh inaccurate. They they don't um always confirm uh the acute phase of the infection. And as South Africans a lot of us have been exposed over the years to to something like uh Bohazia from uh, swimming in the Vile Dam or swimming in the river at, at uh, during a camp at school. And is it is it a myth that you can only get it from stagnant water or is it in any No area? it's it's uh, maybe it's there's a higher um of burden in, in stagnant water but, but definitely even um, rivers uh, lakes, dams um, will have
1: it as well Okay, so what, what symptoms will people have if they have uh, So, uh,
2: Very often people will have um, fevers uh, fatigue there can be um, blood in the urine some people have an itchy rash from where the parasite enters the, enters the skin, but that's usually quite, quite early on. Um, and the, the liver form? Um, also similar. It can be, um, can be some abdominal pain that people can have. There's a, there's a very wide range of, of symptoms.
1: Okay. And what, uh, generally you go to your doctor, do you say, what do you do, Send off urine, take blood tests? So
2: there's, there's a lot of different tests. The, the, the main way to, to confirm for, to confirm it is to actually see the, the eggs in the, in the urine or the stool, but it's very, very, um, inaccurate. Uh, we don't often uh, confirm the diagnosis with that. Um, there are some antibody tests, so some serology tests that are done where, um, they give an idea of the person's exposure to the parasite. Um, but the test is, um, riddled with um, with problems, um, very often one of the, the antibodies flags positive if someone's even been exposed from many, many years ago. And that can, um, some, some will interpret that as a positive result and they'll get treated for Bohazia. What, but what
1: treatment do you give? What's the general? So the,
2: the main treatment that's given is, uh, called prosequantil. Um, the drug's name is Boltricide and, um, it's given according to weight. It's a, it's, um a once off dose usually we split it into two just to make it a bit more tolerable and wow, what what are the side effects uh, a lot of people get um a lot of upper g i um side effects and they feel really awful on the on the day that they take the the treatment okay um g i you mean nausea vomiting? yeah nausea vomiting feeling a bit of a tummy cramp um and uh feeling quite tired but It usually only lasts a day or two, and after that, they bounce back. Okay, fantastic.
1: All right. Now, um, you said in government you worked a lot with uh, TB and HIV. Mm. Why don't uh, doctors get uh, TB working in the hospital with patients with TB?
2: Uh, A lot of doctors do. A lot of doctors do. It's, It's an enormously common problem that I see in not only doctors, all healthcare workers, so... Uh, anyone who is working in a hospital environment, in any ward, in any unit, in any facility, uh, the risk exists. So, um, nurses, OTs, physios, speech and hearing, uh, nursing, uh, uh, theatre nurses, uh, everyone's at risk, and and healthcare workers have a much much higher incidence of. Why is it so prevalent? um is it related to hiv or is i think that's a part of it um, you know it is they say it's a disease of poverty of overcrowding um, south africa obviously has a problem with both um, we have an enormously we have historically had an enormously high uh, burden of of tb going back centuries going back um, you know many many years uh some of the original tb research was done on uh, miners in in the Johannesburg area in the sort of late 1800s late 1800s and so so we've got a very long history of of TB um it's also very difficult to control because the treatment is long uh, it's not easy to diagnose um people are often diagnosed late uh, once they've had the infection for possibly a number of weeks or a number of months and spread it um to close contacts. So it spreads very easily, and that's probably one of the reasons why we haven't managed. Via coughing? Yeah, it's coughing. The particles particles get coughed into the air. And um, as South Africans, uh, the majority of us have have been exposed at some point. Okay, so why don't we get sick if we've been exposed? Our our immune system, the the way that the bacteria, the TB bacteria works is that... um, Gets taken up by the uh, immune system and it sits um, dormant in the in the lymph node. So, a lot of South Africans we we come into contact with the the TB bacteria um, during the course of our lifetimes, and we manage to to keep it in check with our immune system. And it's only really when that immune system uh, is compromised for some reason that it it allows the the TB to start replicating again and, and manifest.
1: Okay, we're going to take our last air break And then we're going to come back and talk about uh, TB prophylaxis What to do if you've been exposed as well
0: This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Discam, Pharmacists who care
1: Okay, well, Welcome back to Dischem Medical Monday I'm your host, Dean Gerson We're in- interviewing Dr. Evan Schul infectious diseases specialist You can SMS us on 34519 Telegram oh six one eight nine five one zero one nine. You can call the studio number 101403020 We've just been d- speaking about TB, why it's so prevalent in South Africa and why it's so hard to control. We're going to move on now to one of the best friends of uh, TB. It's uh, HIV. I often see them together. And uh, why is HIV so prevalent in our country?
2: That's a million-dollar question, Dean. Um... We have the biggest population of hiv infected people um, in the world, and nobody's entirely sure why that's the case. There are a lot of theories about migrant workers and truck drivers and um it's uh is the subject of great uh discussion the The bottom line is that our our um Level of our incidence and our our, our prevalence have um, generally been going up over the years, and they have some somewhat stabilised uh, recently, with more and more people being on on treatment. Um, but um, yeah, I think the short answer is that nobody's really quite sure why South Africa particularly is is affected so so badly.
1: Okay, so there is a lot of uh, publicity and media and. Uh and fundraisers for HIV/AIDS. Um,
2: are we winning the fight? Uh, I would say yes. I'd say it's still ongoing. So the the medication is incredible. It works amazingly well. It's become a lot easier to treat. It's become a lot uh, a lot less complicated. We are treating more and more people without the devastating um side effects of treatment and complications of the virus itself that that we were seeing maybe 15 uh, 20 years ago there are an incredible number of new developments uh, in terms of the regimens that people are taking um vaccine research is is very very hot and um and for the first time the, over the last few years there've been reports of people who have been cured but um, uh, they, 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 they achieved cure through uh, a very uh, complicated process of uh, bone marrow transplants for other indications, so for leukemia, and they just happened to be transplanted with uh, a form of marrow that doesn't um, allow the uh, virus to enter the cell. So it at least showed that uh, the potential for cure – uh, exists, which is something that not a lot of people thought was was possible. Okay,
1: so maybe previously in the eighties or early nineties, you know, people thought of HIV as a death sentence, mm. but uh, now it's one tablet a day for the rest of your life.
2: One tablet a day. Um, if there's an issue with that tablet, sometimes it's split into two or split into three. But generally, it's a lot easier to to manage. And and also, we we're starting people on treatment a lot earlier. So anyone who is diagnosed as HIV positive. We try and p- get them onto treatment as soon as possible. Okay.
1: So there's no CD4 200 or any no, there guidelines. Used, of it.
2: There used to be um, a thing years ago where we would have to wait for the uh, immune system to become compromised or wait for the CD4 count to drop. And was it. that just a cost issue or it was, was a combination of things. I think it was a cost issue. And then also at that time, there was an enormous concern about the toxicity of the drugs. And the feeling was that, um, it was maybe quite uh, patronizing, but the feeling was that we needed to protect the patients from unnecessary exposure to the, to the drugs and subject them to all of the toxicities, uh, of the medication and that we should reserve the medication only for those who had, um, really sick uh, were really sick or had a very low CD4 count. Um, and also at that time we didn't appreciate the benefits of putting otherwise well and healthy people Onto ARVs, which is now by far the norm.
1: And uh, what, uh, besides taking the tablet once a day, how often would they have to have blood tests or health checkups?
2: Um, initially, the, the checkups uh, can be uh, quite frequent. So I, I normally see my patients a month after they start their, their treatment and then two months later. Um, and then Generally, we aim for uh, seeing uh, our patients every six months and getting blood tests every six months.
1: Okay. And what's the uh, the morbidity? Um, I mean, uh, people taking these drugs. I've heard I heard an interesting statistic the other day. I don't know if it's true that uh, the life expectancy for a person on HIV, uh, uncomplicated HIV on antiretrovirals is longer than that for a person with diabetes.
2: Yeah, So the the when. Research is done on the life expectancy in these patients. The Probably the main determinant is that these are people who are seeing a, their doctor regularly. And as a result, other things um, become part of the consultation. So checking blood pressures, checking... Uh, the sugar, checking, um, the cardiac status, because once somebody is virologically suppressed on their ARVs, you know, the HIV becomes less and less of an issue and the focus shifts towards the, um, non-infectious issues like metabolic or blood pressure related issues. So these are, these are patients who are seeing their doctor anyway because they, they're on ARVs and, um, they're usually quite religious about getting their blood pressures checked and getting their sugars checked. Um, and also, I think there's something quite particular about an HIV diagnosis that makes somebody confront their mortality. Um, uh, it's certainly a lot more provocative than getting a diagnosis of diabetes. Of um, course, the
1: stigma is still, I mean, even yeah. though that you might be able to live a normal, happy life, that uh, breaking the news, which I'm mm. sure you've done many times, mm. which so have I, unfortunately mm. – and that stigma of getting uh, HIV even though you tell them it's uh, it 's not curable, but you 're going to live as
2: long as uh, anyone else you just need to take one tablet every day it 's a big shock yeah to so that, that's that 's been a a very big shift in our counseling that when we tell someone their status um, <coughs> we we often tell them that and and this is quite a hard thing to explain to someone that the their life expectancy, if all goes according to plan, and they manage with the with the tablets, um, should be completely unaffected. Um, obviously, the number of variables: what CD4 they're starting with, what other medical issues they have. But generally, for for most people who are diagnosed and put onto ARVs um, as soon as possible, um, the vast majority of people can live a completely Uh, Uncomplicated, successful, productive life.
1: Okay. What about post-exposure prophylaxis? Um, Healthcare workers will uh, often get exposed. I remember a few times as an intern and community service officer, getting pricked by a needle or getting exposed to body fluids, and uh, then you were given, you know, three drugs, and it made you feel terrible, and you had to take them for a month, and then Mm. you still weren't sure. It was terrible. Where are we up to now with post exposure prophylaxis? Who should, who should take post exposure prophylaxis and what is the latest?
2: Yes, this is probably my, my number one, um, phone call that I receive about this because it's, it's such a gut wrenching experience to, to have a needle stick injury or to be exposed, um, at some point and the, the recommendation has changed only in that there are uh, drugs that are far better tolerated than the ones that we used maybe 10 years ago. So they are, um, usually have quite a low incidence of side effects. They work really well. The downside is that, um, they have to be taken for a month, for a full month after the, after the exposure and uh, and obviously the person who's been exposed would need to have h i v tests um afterwards, so it's six and twelve weeks and then at six months afterwards
1: okay and is there a high chance of uh of them getting the the disease so what, what, are, what are the what is the percentage of contracts
2: so it's in, it's incredibly incredibly small there, it's been very difficult to do um to do research on this very difficult to take. A group of people who have been exposed not give them treatment, no, and a group of, of people who have been exposed and give them treatment, so, so we don't know so so the 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 risk um they used to say was uh, and it 's a very old statistic, but they would say the risk with being stuck with a needle in someone uh, uh who's where the source patient is HIV positive the risk is zero point zero three um so that's three in ten thousand, and that with the post-exposure prophylaxis, there's an eighty uh, percent reduction. Okay. Um, so I must say that I, I, I haven't had anyone who's uh, seroconverted after.
1: Is there anyone reported who's seroconverted? So
2: there are there are people who do who do seroconverts. Um, I'm not sure of the circumstances around that, but it's an incredibly rare. Um, uh, complication. Okay,
0: we're going to wrap up after this ad break. This is Medical Monday brought to you with compliments of Dyschem, pharmacists who care.
1: Welcome back to our last few minutes of Dyschem Medical Monday. We've had the pleasure of hosting Dr. Evan Schul, infectious diseases specialist. We've been talking malaria, TB, HIV, uh, traveling illnesses and uh, we're just ending up on uh, HIV post exposure prophylaxis. Uh, people unfortunately getting exposed to HIV taking a tablet for a month and um, the chances are very very small of uh, getting HIV uh, thank God. So Dr. Zhu, if people want to get hold of you or they um, want to make a consultation, how can we get hold of you?
2: So I uh, have my rooms at uh, at Mill Park um, in, uh, in Parktown, Parktown West. Um, my contact details are on the, uh, you can Google me. <laughs> okay, well, and do you
1: have a number for us? Number? Uh,
2: yeah. So my rooms uh, numbers are zero double one, four eight zero five nine zero two, and um, my email address is uh, is my name Evan at gmail.com dot That's Evan dot at gmail.com
1: Thank you for joining us today on one hundred one point nine High FM Disk Medical Monday. Next week, we'll be talking pancreatic cancer. We have a very, very special guest with us. And uh hope everybody has a good week. Remember, if you've got any questions next week on pancreatic cancer, please send them in. And you can tune in at 10 o'clock next week. Thank you to all our staff, to our guests, and to our listeners. And have a good week and a good Shabbos in five days' time.